When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Dug Too Deep, the officially unofficial podcast for the Rings of Power on Amazon Prime. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about season one, episode four, titled The Great Wave, which uh, I have some thoughts on. I have some thoughts on what The Great Wave might be. Maybe we can talk about that later. Uh, but Aaron, what do you think of this episode? Uh, you know, I, 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 I didn't think last episode was terrible. But I thought this was an improvement over last episode, mostly because um, if Gladriel is going to be this pig-headed, stubborn, and kind of like un- in- in- undiplomatic in how she treats uh, her fellow sentient beings on Middle-earth, then she should get some blowback for it. And I thought her ass getting thrown uh-huh. in jail was about the the cold bucket of water that her hot head needed. Um, so I-, I-, I liked that there were some consequences on that. I still am kind of like unsure about what they're trying to do with Numenor. Um, but I liked it. I liked it better this week. I thought that the, my God, the, the dwarves in this show, the dwarves at the height of their empire, their mining techniques, they're, they're pleading with the mountains to return their breathing, survive, surviving uh, collapse. My, the relationship between Durin and Elrond, the Durin and his father. I just like, I think that stuff is, 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 is excellent. And uh, the stuff going on with Aaron Deer in the Southlands looks like it's going to dovetail nicely into Galadriel here pretty soon. And uh, I'm pretty intrigued by this evil Morgul blade that seems to be taking over this poor young man. If I know my Tolkien right, that's not you never want you never want like even a seemingly nice magical artifact like a golden ring will fuck your shit up. (laughs) This thing, this thing looks like a vampire blade or whatever. So like I, I'm, I feel bad for this kid. What about you? How how does a less token nerd, uh, how, how did you find this episode? Yeah, absolutely. I'm in agreement with you. I think this is better than last episode. It's, I still find the Galadriel stuff, like the weaker parts of the episode, but not as weak as last episode. Um, and mostly due to the fact that the show has acknowledged, what I thought were the weaknesses of last episode. It's it's saying, yeah, her approach was stupid um, and it's getting her nowhere. And Hallbrand like telling her, look, you've got to be a little more subtle when you're dealing with these political leaders because uh, they're not they're not playing on the same battlefield. You know, I think that was all very good um, and helped even salvage a little bit of last episode uh, and the dwarf stuff. Yeah, it continues to be my favorite part of the the series so far. That and the Harfoots, who are absent from this episode. Uh, but yeah, o- overall, I, I really enjoyed this episode. Yeah, I missed the Harfoots, but honestly, I got so much good dwarf action. Mm-hmm. Their dwarven helmets open up. I thought that was so cool. Their little, little the, the face part of their dwarf helmets just wing, open up like little barn doors. I That's, oh man, those helmets are so cool. I wish I could. I wish I could go for. Uh, I wish I had the money to cosplay as a dwarf for Halloween. 
what would that even look like, man? You, you're a huge dwarf. You're a uh, huge you, dwarf. People would have, I'd have to use force perspective and all the party shots and everything. But like, <laughs> I'm mean, even huger to play like uh, Elrond. No, or something? I, I, I would just stand like eight or nine feet back from the camera and have all my like, but we'd stage it where it looks like I got my arms around my friends and all that. I mean, that, that might be a fun right. party gag. You'd have to get the Peter Jackson on the camera angles, but uh, or maybe I'm just a big I'm just I'm, I'm a I'm like sure. a buddy the elf, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just big for my you know, I'm, I'm big for a dwarf. What are you going to do? Yeah, that could work. I will say I'm a little I'm I'm cautiously, very cautiously optimistic about this because they're setting up things here in this episode that I'm not sure this show is equipped to properly give attention to. Um, the Are you stuff talking about doing... immig- the immigration policies yes. of Numenor? Yes. Dude, when we get there, I want to, I've got some things to say myself. Cause I think the great wave is racism. I think the great wave is racism. Oh no. I thought the great wave was just division. Well, I mean, Metaphorically. The plain reading is it's the vision that um, uh, Muriel is yeah. afflicted with. But, but what yeah. is the thing that is going to destroy Numenor? I think it's the, racism. the rising tide of, yeah, of, uh, of those goddamn immortal, hardworking, tireless, no sick policy needing elves. Right. They're going take to our, take our employment away from us. Yeah. And I don't know Man. that the show has got the, the, the footwork necessary to dance through that minefield, but we'll see. Sure. We'll see. Plus it's, it's just always problematic when you try to interpolate <laughs> fantasy politics onto real world concerns. Um, especially since like, yeah. I don't know, like I, I felt like they had rich canonical reasons for men and elves to be distrustful uh, of each other. And they seem to be eschewing that with uh, this more economic policy based, you know, yeah. I don't know. Mm hmm. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk. I'm gerbs. sure we'll have a lot to say. They that took kind of her gerbs. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll have a lot to say when we get there. Probably so. Uh, anything else you want to say before we get into the recap? That's, episode still is gorgeous, man. There's a couple scenes oh, yeah. where I was just stricken by the beauty, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. Um, and uh, the locate, like it's it's funny because we had people, um, you know, where I was like, will we ever get sick of the the, the the mm-hmm. how beautiful everything is and i haven't yet but i will say that like i think i've already started taking numenor for granted yeah like whenever yep. they do an establishing shot that pans through 180 <laughs> degrees of some statue <laughs> vomiting up this waterfall and there's and i'm like i just it just it barely registers i know it's a shame that that happens but it's definitely a phenomenon i feel you i'm looking at uh, har- uh, what is it? Har Har Hajer Harl? I have no idea what the dwarf city is. <laughs> Kazakh Doom, Kazakh Doom, uh, or the Mines of Moria, better known as sure. the Mines of Moria. Later on, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm they, they they become all mines, no city. I I don't know. I, I'm looking at that and I'm going, yeah, it's beautiful, but I've seen it already and I've taken yeah. in its majesty. Is it going to continue to impress? I, eh, probably not, but it's still going to look mm-hmm. great. Yeah, and you know it's always nice to have good-looking locations versus bad-looking ones. So it's interesting. And though, there's still lots of establishing now, shots. I'm sure that the, the they'll be able to oh, drop yeah. our jaws with. But now the challenge for them becomes not dropping your jaw for the first time, but not doing the opposite, not dropping the ball on that, and and making you go, well, that doesn't look as good as Numenor. That doesn't look yeah. as good as Harjaharl. <laughs> yeah, Harj Harjaharl. Uh, uh-huh. They're 
then that's another thing we we talked about in the feedback podcast, right? The fact that uh, once they move away from the real life Middle Earth, New Zealand, are they still going to be able to do these jaw dropping vistas as mm-hmm. easily and convincingly? And that remains to be seen because they're definitely, my God, setting such a high bar. Yeah. Um, and the music, man, I got legit chills when uh, when Disa was singing to the mountains. Uh, my the acoustics in my room, because uh, the living room that I watched in, I got hardwood floors, and I got a really nice sound system. And my God, that was sending shivers down my spine um, <laughs> when when she was firing up the pipes. It might have shaken some of the mortar out of your bricks too. Who knows? Yeah, could have. Um, it's kind of in the same way that like uh, the Blue Lady and Fifth Element is just yeah. kind of like it's it's like so otherworldly and kind of like a focal point that you just kind of like, damn, you don't usually see. You don't usually notice the stuff like that very often. Mm-hmm. For sure. There's a lot more rings of power to ponder. We'll be back right after this short break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And now, let's dig a little deeper on Dug Too Deep. All right, let's get into the recap. We start off with the Queen Regent, Muriel, uh, dreaming of the destruction of Numenor by what I assume is the titular Great Wave, and then she awakes. Again, gorgeous scene. I like this ritual of the Queen welcoming in all the newborn babes of the month or whatever, and you know her being very regal and calming about this disaster, and then... Uh, and and the the wave itself was a fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Like it's just you know we saw the scale of Numenor and this wave swallowing it all and seeing it destroy like the iconic white tree and all this stuff. Uh, I I I thought it was you know pretty pretty incredible. It is uh, you know um, worthy of a Roland Emmerich type disaster movie. Yeah. You know. Sure. Pull out, pull out, spare no expense to destroy a lo- uh, an iconic location. Mm-hmm. Um, and you should notice in this scene the petals falling. Uh, it's almost as important as the Great Wave, and it's a little yeah. more subtle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Iarian hears the builders that Halbrand beat up, sowing dissent amongst the people. Word of it spreads to the Chancellor, so he goes to the builders and tells them not to fear a single elf and swears that the elves will never take Numenor. It will remain a city of men. Then Kemen, I think, the Chancellor's son, introduces himself to Iarian, but he's interrupted. Yeah, I don't know. The this, this son is like... Uh, Farazone's interesting because he seems like a guy who is there to cool things off, but in a way that still stokes the fear. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, settle down. Our forefathers were awesome, and we kind of like it's kind of like we sometimes um, more jingoistic Americans will be like, "Oh, we saved France in WW 2 Like he's like, "We we bailed the the elves' asses out and defeated Morgoth in the last war." And mm-hmm. so don't wait, you know, like how how low have we stooped that we'd be afraid of one elf? 
But if there was anything to fear, you can trust that I am the guy who's going to keep Numenor uh, um, an island for man and for man always, you know. So it's like settle down, but not too much. And if yeah. there's ever a boiling situation, come look for for me, Farazan, to to sort it. He absolutely seems like a political opportunist. I don't think he is necessarily an elf hater. I think he's just there for whatever the people seem to be swaying toward. Yes, he's a politician. Yes. Um, (laughs) Oh, you're right. We do have a word for that sort of flame flame (laughs) artist. Yeah, we do. He's got these guild badges. I was reminded of the art direction for... Do you remember like 15 years ago, the magic block was the Shards of Alara? And uh-huh. they had the the bant, which was a, like the white, blue, green shard. Like yeah. the, all of these um, guild badges remind me a lot of those uh, sigils that they had. These like these gold coins are just all. And this guy is festooned with guild badges. How many guilds <laughs> does he belong to? I, he's collecting them like Boy Scout badges. It looks like a yeah, it looks like gold Boy Scout badges, and I, I liked because yeah. uh, a lot of people have noticed that uh, the different cultures are putting idioms in um, to have something to do. You know, like the dwarves are always swearing by rocks, and mm-hmm. the Harfoot are always talking about their feet and their wagon wheels and their caravans. I liked Farazone like swearing by the calluses of his hands. Yeah, and I wonder. Like, when is the last time he swung a hammer? <laughs> For sure. How, how many of those badges does is he really earn? Because he looks a little too regal to be mm-hmm. chiseling stone. Yeah, half of those are honorary, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah. I, I don't know. So he's setting himself up here for failure. If you look at the episode in its entirety, the queen at the end of this episode decides to do directly the opposite of what he's promised the people right like the, and he's the on board are for giving it. them commands essentially yeah yeah and he supports that i feel like next episode or or in the future sometime he's gonna have a real problem with the builders guild because if you also look at that audience of people who is volunteering mm-hmm. there's a lot of builders looking around at those people like the fuck are these people doing volunteering yeah. to go help the help the elves over in middle earth that's crazy so I, and, I I don't know if they're going to run with that or not, but that's that's the threat I see looming for him. Well, and it's also convenient that we got Yarion, uh, you know, the 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 sister of Isildur and the daughter of uh, Elendil is in that that guild, so she'll be able mm-hmm. to give us probably you yep. know POV into that whatever's going on there. Um, we want to talk about the real life intersection of the politics here. What? So I, I've I've got my little bugaboo. What 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 are you what are you worried about here? I'm just worried that they're going to have the deft touch required for this. I, I don't see this as a show of like great nuance um, and and fidelity. I see this as a sweeping epic, right? That is going to shortcut storylines mm. um, in favor of getting through a lot of material and telling a much larger story. And that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried that like anytime you blend fantasy things with an analogy to real life politics, you can run into trouble. And the one that kind of like when I was watching this, I'm like, this feels like a true blood problem because true blood, if you'll remember this, uh, you know, campy vampire show on, I think HBO 
And it was loosely analogous to like people's views on vampirism was kind of like uh, analogy to what people thought about the LGBTQ rights, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they, they talk, called them fangers and, you know, that they were going they, they were like, you know, uh, hunting and trying to convert to their way of lifestyle. And and it's like. It muddies the walk because, like, I don't think any fair-minded person should have a problem with the uh, gay people or what they do. However, if a sizable portion of gay people uh, were actively hunting me and trying to drink my blood and ripping my head off and perhaps converting me forcibly to their lifestyle by biting me and turning me into a vampire, uh, I, you know, there might be some, there might need to be some extra legislation for superpowered beings that are fucking uh, hunting another population down in mm-hmm. sizable quantities. This trades people when they're saying these elves, they live forever. They never get sick. They never get tired. They're just fucking better than us. They're not lying. None of this is like prejudice. This is based on real actual fears. Galadriel was ready to swim across the Atlantic fucking ocean. How are you going to compete with that? How are you going to compete with that? Maybe we want to put some fucking tariffs on their products. Maybe we want, you know what I'm saying? It's like, so like, I want to be like, well, these guys, fuck these guys. They're anti, they're anti-immigrants. I, I'm, I'm, uh, not too long ago, my, my, my family immigrated this country, but you know, all the things they're saying about us were a bunch of bullshit and lies. The elves are supermen and it would be worrisome if they would come over and start competing for your job. So like, it's muddy. I don't know how yeah. I feel about it. That imperfect analogy. Yeah, you can run into some trouble. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. For various reasons. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried about this plot line, but we'll see. how. Especially since in the like um, to me, the obvious friction is the genetic or the the the, the cult, the the inheritance that you've got the elves that live forever and the men that don't. That's like, OK, you know, that's unfair. That's literally not equal treatment. That is like it feels like, um, you know, God is playing favorites with his children and that can stoke a lot of jealousy and resentment. But it's like coming down to immigration policies, afraid that the elves are just going to take over. Yeah, apparently. I mean, it'll manifest in all kinds of weird ways. Um, I mean, it's manifesting it as like jealousy toward the person who is endowed with the gifts that you are envious of is crazy to me. You should be, yeah. you should be angry at the people who gave them those gifts and didn't give you those gifts, you know, if sure. anything, Mad at God. Uh, but that's not how they feel, right? They, they turn to the gods and claim, you know, claim them as their own and then say like, Hey, these elves suck. I, I don't know. I, I also want to know how does fair zone work? Because they're in the middle of just like a random city square Mm-hmm. where people have started like rabble rousing and he shows up and he's like fucking spuds McKinsey with the Swedish bikini team and Bud Light, except for it's all these serving girls and wine. He's like, after the end mm. of his speech, he's like, everyone a drink on me. And these ladies just smoothly slide out with these gold platters of goblets of wine. And like, I'm like, where, what, yeah, what, what happened here? It's exceptional, but uh, yeah, the I, silver, I, the Coors light silver, silver bullet just pulled in and you know, uh-huh. like what the hell? I assumed they, and maybe this is me just judging the builders, but I assumed they were right outside the pub is where they were like gathered talking. Or is this like their guild hall or like their union, you know, UAW, which might double as the pub. Yeah. 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 Maybe. (laughs) But I I didn't, I just thought they were standing out in the middle of the streets. Yeah. I gotcha. I don't know. 
Maybe he does have a wine, a wine tourage. Uh, what do you think about the relationship between uh, Farrah's own son? I didn't get just catch his name. Kimmon, uh, I think. Kimmon? Okay. What did you think yeah. of... It's because there's all the, the big theme in this episode was relationships of fathers and sons. Mm. And it looked like Farazone maybe thinks his son is not ready or doesn't take him serious or mm. you think I read that did you get I, any of that? I, I read that more as the continuing education of a son. I, I think I, you know what? I was very mm. impressed with the way that Kemen handled his father criticizing the way he speaks and the way he thinks um he didn't he didn't seem to bristle at it he just seemed to learn from it or Mm -hmm. or take it in and and move on and i thought that was that impressed me um so i i actually ended up through that sort of liking kemen in a weird way um and i thought you know i I didn't have any ill will toward farazone in that moment either i thought it was interesting because like when um Arian shows up he's kind of like the way he observed like oh my father if there's not a cause he can't turn to his own or a favor he can't call like and Arian's like oh that's something to be admired right and he's like yeah I guess it's I don't know there's okay. something All right. there's some some kind of discontent there yeah yeah it's not manifesting in a whiny or like insubordinate way which i appreciate you know right that yeah. can go pretty wrong pretty fast with the character sure. if if they let it get out of hand but no it was pretty good uh our Ar- that's a huge statue right because they, they talk about how like why are we not the people who raised our uh our mighty work or whatever um that's got to be that gigantic statue Ar- isn't it the Middle name of the city that they're in yeah, Armenolos uh, is is the ca- is is their capital city. So he's just talking about in okay. general this beautiful city and all of its munificent works. Yeah, gotcha. I wonder. I wonder what that uh, giant statue's name is. It's That's probably Elros, work. the their founder. Oh, the yeah. you know the half elven brother of uh, Elrond. Makes sense. All right, um, let's go over to Gladriel taking what she found uh, in the halls of lore to Muriel. And trying to convince her to give her and Hallbrand an army to fight Sauron in the Southlands. She's denied, so she threatens to take it to Muriel's father, and Muriel has her thrown in a cell. It's funny, because like I had just about gotten fed up with Galadriel when I was going through my first watch, and I, I was like literally kind of shouting at the screen, Queen Regent or no, you can't talk to a nation's ruler like this. Like what the? And then they just smash cut to her being in jail for sedition. And I'm like, okay, fine. Yeah. As long I as the show's going to nature, and I will not be denied by that, you or anyone. To slam yeah, right yeah. To the there's a there. You're t- there's a tempest in me that will not uh-huh. be quelled by you, Queen Regent. And it's like. Very similar to uh, Gandalf coming up to um, uh, uh, Denethor and being like, it's not up to it's you. The, it's not granted to you the authority to deny the return of the king, Stuart. And he kind of put him in his place. Mm. But she actually got thrown her ass in jail. So, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty. And good. also, like, that's also like she's like, man, she's like. She starts off with like, well, Num- I'm putting Numenor on a different path. Well, not all of Numenor stands against you. Like, oh, my God, you're going to foment a rebellion and tell her this. And then 
then try to one up her with her goddamn father. Uh, mm-hmm. Crazy, crazy Galadriel. <laughs> You're, it was. It's like 6,000 years old. Come on now. Yeah, and Hallbrand's going to point her in the right direction here in a bit, uh, yeah. which I appreciate. All right, uh, let's go over to Isildur continuing his training. He lets intentionally lets a rope slip and gets both himself and his two friends kicked out of the Sea Guard, and his friends are rightfully pissed off. Yeah, um, they he keeps on hearing this whisper of his name is Isildur mm-hmm. from the it like Numenor, but it's it's lit from behind, so it looks like I I took it as like this is supposed to you're supposed to look at this and see the the. The, the shores of Valinor that Galadriel yeah. almost made it to in the first episode before she jumped off the um, but like what's confusing to me is you know as the Lorehounds talked about is Numenor is not allowed to sail west they're not mm-hmm. a, like it's it's a uh, just thing that's not allowed by God for you to go to these these sacred shores and I've always thought the Elendil's house was like pretty faithful to the elves they talked about him being the elf friend and it's weird that it seems like that he wants to go west, which is to Valinor, and it's treated like a crackpot, something in a crackpot would do, not like this is forbidden. Like, you can't fucking do this. Like, nobody, yeah. everyone takes it like he's just being an idiot, not like you literally are going to be destroyed if you try this shit. Uh, and it's, I, I don't understand it. Yeah, it's the national treasure of it all. Like I said, I, I, I think... I don't know. They, they mentioned, you know, they had a crazy uncle or something, right? Um, that tried this once before. It's his brother who's supposed it. to be his younger brother. That's the other oh, thing. It's like, I'm okay. like, I, I'm, I'm very confused by what's seemingly are minor changes in canon because Anarion is supposed to be Isildur's younger brother. But mm-hmm. every time people talk about it, it's the older brother. And that's fine. Like, I don't I don't care. I'm just confused because, like, why would you change that? You know, sure. just Isildur has a better name recognition because he's got like two scenes in Lord of the Rings where Anarion literally has none. But hmm. I just, I don't. And and like I said, the, the you know, saying that, like, I got to sail west to the real Numenor. I, yeah, I don't know where they're going with that. I, I always kind of. So, so, you know, having just learned about this like three episodes ago, I view mm-hmm. Numenor as sort of sealed up a lot like uh, the sublime in Westworld to where like. Mm-hmm. If it's not opened to you, you can't enter it. It's just not physically possible. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't care how far west you sail. You're going to either fall off the map or wrap back around or something before. So that's interesting because I I don't know if you remember because that was one of my my, the things I was kind of scratching in the first episode is that I thought at this point in time, there wasn't a physical barrier between Numenor and Valinor. It's just that the it's kind of like. uh, it's not allowed the way that God didn't allow Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of the forbidden knowledge or knowledge of good and bad. Right. He's like, it's like later they'll add a sword or two angels with a flaming sword and you just can't Mm -hmm. do it no more. Um, But for now, but yeah, it seemed like it was like a metaphysical, like a spiritual portal opening as well as just a distance that you sail. And I thought that was disappears after Galadriel. It does. Right. It's gone. It does. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd so like, I, I, I I am perplexed. I, I these are to my mind pretty serious changes in the canon, and I'm not upset about it. I just don't know. What, it, it's 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 a disservicing me because I 
I am expecting to go this way and it's going another way. And I, there's no clear reason for me like, ah, they're doing this because of the adaptation of this. And, and I'm just kind of confused. Maybe if you're a big enough elf lover and with good enough <laughs> prosthetic elf ears, you could, you could find your way into Valinor. I don't know. But it's worth I feel like Elrond could give about half of his ear away and still be a full-fledged elf. He's mm-hmm. got bordering on donkey ears. I want to talk <laughs> about that. Okay. Whereas Adar probably needs another half inch or so. Adar of could elf use, ear. Yeah, yeah, like Adar, and maybe maybe it's like a, a different racial component of the elves. They get the 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 uh, ear size, but like yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I would say the Galadriel <laughs> and Aaron Deer have what I would consider normal elf ears, and then you've got. <laughs> <laughs> Celebrimbor and Elrond just fucking uh-huh. looking like goat people, borderline <laughs> goat people. Very Tumas, Mr. Tumas from Lion, Witch, and a Wardrobe. Hmm. Okay. Not familiar, but I'll look that up. All it's right, the other let's... Christian allegory that the, the yeah. these, these guys came up with. All right, let's go over to Aaron Deer meeting Adar, who turns out to be what I'm going to label as poor man's Lee Pace, right? Like <laughs> my note says family dollar Lee Pace. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, any villain who isn't Lee Pace at this point, isn't much of a villain in my mind. You need the stature, you need the physicality, but you need the intensity. And I feel the like hair. this guy got halfway to the intensity and the stature that I, I really wanted. No, he's he's no Lee Pace, and you know he'd be yeah. improved if he was. But I'm not going to hold that against a guy. I think he did sure. a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. He really made it. He really made a meal of that mercy killing of that orc. Like his eyebrows yeah. and cheekbones. I've never seen a man's cheekbones quiver, but his <laughs> cheekbones are quivering at the grief or the rage or whatever that he was feeling. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's a bit of a shapeshifter too. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, he mercy kills an orc and then he sends Aaron Deer to the Elven Tower to deliver Bronz- Bronwyn's people a message. Yes, he uh, does. That's exactly what he does. Yeah, I, I was trying to decipher it. Speaking of his ear shape, I was trying to decipher, is he some kind of half elf? Is he dif- a different type of elf? Because his ears are kind of pointy, but not like you said, Elrond pointy. They might be trying to establish a difference between the, because like there are various different elves and they're, you know, if, if you listen to Lorehound's podcast, they're roughly divided on, you know, when the Valinor invite, when the Valar invited into Valinor because the elves were woke up in uh, Middle Earth and they're like, hey, what are you doing here, goofballs? You should come to Valinor with us. A lot of elves immediately said, yeah, dope, let's go. Uh, Some elves like, you know what? We actually like it over here in the twilight of Middle Earth. Uh, Some wanted to go and they stopped because they couldn't make it over the mountains. And there's like all and those all became the different like main branches of elf people. And they might be with these ear shapes and sizes and stuff trying to give like a a, a distinguishing, a, a way to distinguish those types of elves. But I gotcha. don't understand because I've seen you know, Hugo weaving in Lord of the Rings and he doesn't look like Mr. Tumas. So, uh-huh. uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> Irreduction some of these, and, and I thought that I also like, cause Galadriel has very understated ears too. I think they're perfect elf ears. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, if she had giant I thought ears, she... how would she hide them under her hair in Numenor? Right. <sighs> yeah. But, but what I was getting at is I'm pretty sure that her and Elrond are from the same kind of broadly yeah. speaking house. I could gotcha. be wrong. But I thought they were all of the kind of the high elf type. Mm-hmm. 
Anyway. Um, you know, all this elf elfier talk has gotten me wondering, like, okay, is there a half elf? You know, does, do humans have sex with elves and produce offsprings? And then I was wondering, has there ever been a half orc? Do, do people ever have sex with orcs, produce offspring? I think that was when the speculation for where the Urukai came from, that they had bred orc with man. That was one of the, oh, I mean, in the really? films, uh, Saruman's kind of like cooking them up like mushrooms down yeah, in his yeah. cellars. But uh, I thought that there was some kind of twisted experiment of crossing elf uh, orc with, then maybe, does that something we talk? Because I, I always thought I, when I was a kid reading that stuff, I'm, I, that's the first thing I'm like, geez, some dude had to fuck an orc. <laughs> Or uh, even worse, some some lady got fucked by an orc. Ah, but you know, or maybe yeah. some elf. I don't know. Not my preference, but somebody's probably into that. Yeah, there's there's some monster fuckers out there. Let it be known. Uh, but uh, she Hulk's exposing a lot of them. Oh <laughs> but, really? Uh, okay. Yeah, green skin giantess. I mean, she's kind of uh-huh. orc. You give her some pointy is, is there teeth, a big and horny you're pretty crowd much there. Out there for She Hulk right now. Duh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Look, I I'm said not, there's a bunch of monster fuckers out there. Just asking the questions. <laughs> right. Anyway, uh, I the point so of I, this scene is is to tell us that Adar is trying to become a god, right? He's trying to become Sauron, I think. Yeah, that's I'm not one yet. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Would, would Sauron say that, though? Because Sauron, even mm. if he's his power ebbs and flows, but he's still a di- like he's he's never not a demigod so i wondered if like sauron would say something like that gotcha um or is this guy like um hoping to channel sauron uh is he hoping to get that blade because it seems like that blade can confer very fast powers on people according to the butcher bartender mm-hmm. um yeah, I don't know. I wish that we got some more answers because like Aaron Deer is here just like, you know, trying to do his role as an investigative journalist and uh, Adar is just ignoring everything that he's saying. He is. Yeah. You know, because he doesn't give a shit. They, they, they name check this place called Beleriand. And I so like uh, when we saw in the first episode there that like prologue of the episode and they showed the War of Morgoth and how there was like all these elves floating underwater Apparently, Beller, um, like Beleriand, I, I knew that it was it, it 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 had sunk during this war, but I always assumed it was like the size of California comparison to the United States. And I looked hmm. it up, and it's more of like if the Rocky Mountains and everything west of it fell off of America. Wow, is how big Beleriand was before it was submerged, and it's it's the sunken. And and apparently, both Adar and uh, Arendir hail from this place, and it explains why these kind of like watch warden elves have a particular bug up their ass because their entire homeland and the entire continent, like right up to Lind- Lindor used to be an interior city. And now it's on the hmm. coast has been destroyed by Morgoth and their forces. So Damn. it goes a long way to explain their, their grudge here and what, what all they lost, you know? Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to the, uh, what used to be the elven tower. Uh, more people arrive from the, the human cities they're running low on rations so Theo volunteers to go into town and grab some Bronwyn won't let him but he and his friend go anyway uh, and they grab some food but Theo wants to go search the tavern so his friend just abandons him and Theo's found by orcs and he manages to hide he's going to be the finest interior orc fighter 
the humanity's God. He just like every episode, he gets ambushed in a in some kind of cabin or house by a wild orc. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just Theo, man. Um, I don't like you his think- friend. He seems like a real shit. Well, I mean, Theo <laughs> kind of told him to go on, right? Like, yeah, but it's nighttime and this is Orc Town. This is Orc Town. Yeah, but come on. Are you the guy's friend or not? He he seems like barely friends. He seems like he's friends with this kid because there's no other kids in town. Yeah. Uh, he's like, they're kind of close to his age. I don't know. We got a lot of rings of power to ponder. We'll be right back after this short break. And now, let's dig a little deeper on Doug Too Deep. Um, did you think that Ostirith looked a little ruiny, a little bit more ruiny than you'd expect from a newly abandoned elf fortification? Like, it's crumbling, oh. visibly crumbling. I, I, oh, I figured that it? the elves Damn. would keep that shit up, you know? Right. Maybe the men moved in and just, just started, this just gone to hell, you know? They just, like, a lot of wear and tear on that, <laughs> uh, that tower. Hmm. It's hard to believe. I didn't really yeah. notice it. <laughs> yeah, I I got really tickled at this show's idea of what it takes to feed the crowd oh, that dude. they're depicting. A wheelbarrow full. <laughs> like a Come wheelbarrow. On. A wheelbarrow will keep you going for, I guess, infinity. Infinity. Mm-hmm. Because, like, the one guy was dismissive about, oh, we don't even have, you know, that's not even enough for one. The five potatoes were not enough for one day's ration. Like, I think this wheelbarrow maybe will feed half of you. So yeah, we'll I expected see. them to come back with just like carts with uh, oxen drawn carts. Full I thought they would. Food. Yeah, I thought they're going to steal a wagon or something that would like, OK, that'll yeah. give them a couple weeks, you know, or an entire caravan and say, OK, we're we're good. We're done. We got all right. the supplies out of all the cities. But they come back with a wheelbarrow and a couple of sacks full of grain. Yeah, Theo talks about like raiding this cellar and the get to the mm. building is a pretty big one. And I'm just like, man, you could get more shit out of my pantry, I think. <laughs> right. Uh, it's just not a lot of food. It's not a lot of food and there's a lot of people to feed. But, you know, it's I, uh, it's Hollywood. You just kind of squint and like, OK, sure. I was also wondering about freshwater sources here. I assume the elves have built like wells into the tower. I, I'll, I'll just assume because it doesn't address the water concerns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's fine. And then we go over to uh, Durin, who has apparently decided to help build the tower. The, the king has okayed it. Uh, Celebrimbor says that he thinks Durin is hiding something. And Elrond goes to ask Disa where her husband is, but she lies to him, claiming he's out on a mining expedition. And then afterward, Disa meets Durin to tell him about Elrond's visit. And Elrond eavesdrops on the conversation and learns that they're doing something over in the old mine below Mirror Mirror. Uh, I did not realize elves had super hearing. I think that's, I mean, we should have known that. that I know in the Lord of the Rings, they established that like Legolas could see way better. Like, you know, like uh, Aragorn's eyes. What do your elf eyes see? And he's like, I see a flock of birds and it won't be here for another five minutes. Like, uh, so like, I see they got super. Because super sight. Well, no, I was just saying that like if they okay. if they can see stands that well, stands a reason all their senses are heightened. But okay. also, I wondered if you were supposed to understand that he was reading lips too, because the way they they do the extreme zoom and then onto his lips as he's kind of piecing out what they're saying. I I was wondering. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, it's it it's open to the interpretation. Gotcha. But uh, here here's what I love about this whole conversation they have is. Uh-huh. I mean, A, Disa's great. 
she's trying to cover here. Uh, she says, you know, he's gone to these old mines. Um, or sorry, not old mines. He's gone on some mining expedition and he, Elrond says it takes two days to get down there. And she's like, nah, uh, takes a couple hours if you're a dwarf. I want right. to see what a dwarf speed climbing looks like because I lived with a rock climber for a while. Uh, yeah, sure. Like a, a very talented rock climber. Mm-hmm. And he was very tall. He was like six foot five or something ridiculous. And he had that to his advantage as a rock climber and shorter people takes a lot more effort to cover the same ground that he could cover as a six foot five man. I want to see a four foot dwarf scaling a wall at speeds that could beat Legolas at speeds that could beat Elrond. That's what I want to see because it would look hilarious. I think it's going to look like one of those climbing video games where you've got like uh, God of War or Nathan Drake, where you can literally like leap up the mountain like 12 feet at a time. Just like, rah, <laughs> okay. rah, just jump handhold to handhold, drop 50 feet. Yeah, yeah. You're just like. Gotcha. What I hope it would just, look like is a spider like skittering up just oh, a sheer cliff. Just that like, would be fast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Feet. Yeah, like those uh, Mines of Moria orcs where they're climbing down the tower. Or sure. climbing down all the pillars and whatnot. That would be cool. Uh, I. So the, the everyone's here is right. Like Celebrimbor is saying Durin's hiding something from me. He, they are. They're hiding Mithril. Mm-hmm. I think it's on. I, I wish the show would be a little bit more clear on some of these things because um, it seems that because you see in the background that the dwarves and the elves are building this huge tower that's going to hold this. uh you know, forge that's going to be as hot as a volcano and as pure as a star. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think the dwarves, uh, certainly the dwarves don't know what Celebrimbor means to do with that tower, but do you even think that they know that it's going to be this giant smithing station? Because, like, I, I feel it's funny that it's funny that the elves are accusing the dwarves of hiding something for them when it seems clear that the elves are hiding something from the dwarves. Yeah, the dwarves know it. They, I mean, specifically Durin goes to Linden at the end of this episode to figure out what they're hiding. Yeah. Um. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's it hard to imagine like you'd build a tower and not ask, hey, what are you going to use this for? And whether you get a straight answer oh, you know, is another towering. question. But <laughs> right. Yeah. Flight of fancy. You know, I just like towers. Yeah. Um. I thought that Disa looked incredible in that scene where her and Durin are standing on the bridge and are kind of being flirty. Her eyes, I don't know what they're doing from like a contact or CGI perspective, but they're like gold, like the metallic yeah. gold and they're flashing and uh, on this dark and when she, they, they zoom out where you, you you can see kind of Elrond's point of view, she does this like fierce 180 and her robes just kind of go swish around her and she stalks off. I'm like, fucking A. That, mm-hmm. again, show shows nailing the look of the stuff absolutely all right Elrond decides to go to the old mine he taps a rock repeats a nursery rhyme and discovers a secret chamber and in that chamber Durin catches him and Elrond asks him what's going on here uh when Durin Durin you know makes him promise that he won't repeat what he's about to tell him and then shows him the new ore they discovered mithril and Durin lets Elrond keep a piece, and then the mine caves in, and Durin charges in to help the miners. Like a G. I love this about Durin, that, like, this thing's collapsing. He's got no hard hat. 
mm-hmm. without even thinking. He's like, there's four dwarves down there. And he just barrels in wide stance, you know, like bear, just chest thrust out. He's just going to go in there and wait in and save his dudes. I thought that was really endearing of him. And uh, yeah, I also like this mountain, though. That felt real. And mm-hmm. it made me think of. Like we talked about, um, you know, Liv Tyler, uh, uh, Arwen's fate and how she kind of uh, all the things Elrond said about her, about her being alone and bereft and 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 cold when she she's going to finally die here in Middle Earth all came true in the in the grand scope of history. Makes me think that Elrond's going to break his promise because mm. I don't think Elrond comes across as a happy dude in Lord of the Rings and certainly Arwen his daughter like she gets a measure of happiness at the end but by the end of the the epilogue of uh, Lord of the Rings she is bereft and and alone and broken so yeah and I think like the fact that he gets to keep a piece of this mithril is the biggest tell here um I don't know if he'll intentionally break his oath here, but that piece might fall into the wrong hands or, you know, yeah. he leaves it out on a table or something. And Celebrimbor is like, what's that? Yeah, that well, would be a real ball breaker. If uh, the gift that you give his friendship is the thing that, you know, like, yeah, Celebrimbor is going through his pockets or something is like, what is this? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I had a question about what is yeah. this? Uh, normally I can get through context clues, uh, everything sure. that the dwarves are up to. They mention mm-hmm. that Disa found this this new mineral or this new ore during a gold seeming. What is a gold seeming? I think it's that like because you remember she said that the dwarf women's their job is to kind of sing to the mountains and get it to vibrate in such a way, and you mm-hmm. are able to find the minerals. Um, and, and my understanding that like ore comes in like seams of the rock. You always hear about hitting a, a like a vein or a seam of yeah, something. Yeah. And so they were like looking for gold and kind of like following that. And then they found this like shook like, out some like this is like a uh, like a like a played out gold mine. And they, in the deep, dark part of this old mine, they found this mystery metal. Gotcha. Makes a lot of sense. And also, just for fun, like myth, uh, I thought it was interesting. They kind of make this point home that like uh, they this called gray glitter in the dwarf tongue, mithril by Elvish. And if you know anything about Gandalf, one of his many side names is aliases is Mithrander. And you've got the same kind of myth, um, which means gray because Mithrander means gray pilgrim or gray wanderer. So there's a neat like little Elvish root word uh thing uh here to enjoy as well nice all right should we move over to kemen running into yarian again literally this time uh yeah he makes her a bet and the loser buys the other dinner classic classic move uh i like the little touch of yarian sitting here just studying the architecture you know, she's right. a new, newly new inductee into the Builders Guild and she's all excited about it. And she's just out spending her free time looking at buildings and drawing them. Seems like there's a lot of hazing that goes on with uh, the Building Guild because she's having to yeah. scrub floors and serve serve wine mm-hmm. more than she's allowed to just sit around and, and draw buildings and design things at this at this stage. I mean, somebody's got to do it, right? The Guild Hall yeah, is not going to clean itself. Why not the fucking new girl? Mm-hmm. They're the fucking new guys. Mm-hmm. All right, then we go to the dungeon uh, in Numenor where 
Hall Brand advises Gladriel on how to approach the situation with Muriel. He says she should figure out what the queen fears and help her master it. And he helps her realize that her fear, uh, the Muriel's that is, has to do with her father. And then the chancellor arrives, Farazan, and says that she's being shipped back to the elves tonight. She has her removed from her cell, but she's just like in Star Trek Picard fashion, turns the tables, locks the guards in their cell, in her cell and heads off. And Halbrand's like, uh, you know where she's headed. You maybe don't have to stop her. There was a little, that was a little silly. I don't know. Yeah. They don't show much of it, but it was just so easy how she got the upper hand. Yeah, I, this is another thing is like, I didn't think that elves outclass Numenorians this badly. Like these are uh-huh. four to six strong strapping uh, Numenorians and full armor and arm for and arms. Mm-hmm. And she is an elf woman in a dress in, in, in a flowy dress, no armor, no swords. And she just kind of like grabs them all and throws them in their own cell. <laughs> Yeah, and, and like, it's not done and it's just tidy yep. very tidy it's not necessarily that that i have a problem with it's later in the episode where she's being put on a boat with four dudes who are rowing with like no sword no swords out no nothing like if she wants to get off this boat she can get off this boat yeah but i guess she was being meek about it no i yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I would like to i may have something to ask john because this is something in the first episode remember like all of her elf special forces commandos mm-hmm. were getting destroyed by this ice troll and then she just comes out and single-handedly handles it. Is, is she this that much more powerful she than your be. average elf? And again, these Numenorians are not like these fuckos in the south where they're like got diluted mudblood or whatever kind of vaguely mm-hmm. weird stuff that we got going on here. She, they are like the 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 real deal OG men, the men of fame, the men of glory, just like Farazone is talking about here. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe Gladriel's just that badass, but uh, she she handled these dudes. Looking and, forward to her getting getting with Aaron Deer later. Not not sexually, just <laughs> hooking up with him. Uh, How do you say that without too. sounding sexual? You know, meeting uh, him later. Yeah. Uh, because holy shit, he has a badass move in this too. He does. Um, and I, the way she smirks at uh, Farazone on her way out, like she's just, <laughs> uh-huh. she cannot, cannot not be this really abrasive person. She's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I just, uh, yeah. If, if you're if you're wanting to sell yourself as allies, I, I don't know if you just throw all the cops in jail if that's the way to get it done. But uh, right. Yeah. Uh, let, let me ask you this. There was another line that was a little odd to me considering last week's episode. She says, you know, as Halbrin continues to make his metaphor here, comparing her to a horse, she says, cease comparing me to a horse. Mm-hmm. Doesn't she like really love and respect horses? I mean, she, it seems, I don't know. That shot last episode made me think she wouldn't mind being compared to a horse because they're majestic. And amazing. They are. Although uh, they, I think, I think, I thought about it a little bit more, and that scene was as much about Galadriel has spent centuries doing nothing but miserable shit, mm-hmm. and it's just like, Fighting oh, right. Yeah. It is actually kind of nice to gallop on a Snow White stallion across a windswept uh, sea, you know, seascape, right? <laughs> you yeah, know? that makes sense. This is something actually pleasurable. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else for this scene, or should we move on? 
Let's move on. All right. Yarian finds Isildur, who tells her what happened with the Sea Guard, and he feels pretty bad about it. Um, but then he just gets the, the he gets called off because the the guards realize the elf has escaped and begin searching for her. And again, and Arion or uh, uh, says, "Oh, well, I guess we get to go west now." I'm like, "No, you won't." Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I would, but my father won't let me bring Barrick. And first of all, like, who the fuck is Barrick? I don't know. I was I talking to John it. just before the podcast, and he said that this Barrick word has like a a mannish root word of like a wild. Um, hmm. And he was speculating that maybe it's just like there is an aboriginal Pet? race of men that live somewhere oh. and then they might there might be like, um, you know, a, a mirror of the way the elves are kind of coming at it mighty against the men that maybe they'll like uh, come at against. But I feel like they already got that with the Southrons. I, I wonder if it's it not as, like one of their horses or something. I like, wondered if it's a horse, too. Yeah. 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 Uh, maybe it's the white one, the cheesy one. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Grinning idiot of a horse. But it's like there again, it's like I don't know that they've ever established the names and they just uh, show. I wonder how much I wonder if there's a bunch of stuff on the cutting room floor, because I just feel like there's a couple things at the at these edges where I don't think they've really established this Western. Do you know what the fuck he's talking about? Not not specifics. No, I just know he wants to go West, young man. But like, why? What is West? Uh, If it's the Holy Land. okay, fair enough. But why aren't people freaking out about it? If it's not that, then what is it? I wish they were a little bit more clear about that and like who the hell Beric is and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I guess we'll find out uh, more later. Hopefully, I, I think it's ironic that you know he ends up going east instead of west, right? Mm. Um, I, I don't know if that irony is more than just that or what. But it's true. He's forgotten all about the west. He's going to Middle Earth, mm-hmm. which will keep you out of the trouble with the gods, I suppose. For sure. All right, Gladriel enters the king's tower where she finds him and Muriel waiting. Uh, she realizes that the king is very sick. She also asks Muriel why she's forsaken the elves. So Muriel takes her to the top of the tower and shows her a palatier, which is one of seven seeing stones. And Gladriel touches it and sees the great wave destroying Numenor. Then Muriel claims that that vision is punishment from the Valar for turning to darkness, which... I think in her mind is them embracing the elves again. And Gladriel tries to use Halbrin's advice to turn her fear into friendship, but it doesn't work. I I found this logic a little hard to follow. Mm. And I'm not sure that it doesn't make sense. I'm just trying to, to piece it all out. Um, so Muriel thinks her father saw this vision. Um, knows that her father saw the vision, I think. And realizes that as soon as he did, as soon as he uh, went through his coronation, he saw the vision and started talking about, we need to go back to the old ways with the elves where we were friends. And now that she sees the vision, she's trying to reverse what he did. But I don't know why she would do that if like her father saw the same vision and concluded that the path forward to avoid this curse from the Valar was to reunite with the elves it's not clear to me either what i think they're getting at is the numenor for whatever reason um jealousy trade war 
retirement benefits, whatever, had been distancing themselves from the elves, like, you know, for some time. Mm-hmm. And that her father got this vision and he's like, we have to reverse course. But since not everyone can go to the Palantir and see this vision, it's kind of like you just and this got a lot of friction because Numenor is going in one direction culturally and politically. And then the leaders like, nope, we're 180 and going back the other way. Mm-hmm. And that I think that Muriel interprets the kingdom being torn apart by internal strife because she says the only mm-hmm. Numenor can destroy Numenor. And that she thought that, like, what was causing the, the, the division of Numenor was them arguing about what they should do with the elves. And if she can just kind of, like, slow that down and maybe bend, like, you, dad's on the right path, but he's too radical. Um, well, why would he but see that the is same a lot vision. of me surmising things. Yeah, I don't know why he would see the same vision if he hasn't already set the path of the internal strife by returning to the old ways. Like, wouldn't they just well, be on on the path of the gods? Well, but that's the other. So that's the other thing about the Palantir is and they established this in the Lord of the Rings, too, is that well, they established in this episode is that like you can't 100 percent rely on what it shows you because it shows you one of many paths. Uh, it can, it can <laughs> let change. me ask you, what good is a seeing stone that provides unreliable visions that may or but it, it might as well be a pet rock. Well, so like it's no 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 it's not that like it's an unreliable vision it's like unless you do something to correct the course but that that's I think uh, so hmm. I did this because I was confused by so this and I had a little bit of time to research this yeah. I read and some there's some scholars in Tolkien that think the Palantir represent mankind trying to get some kind of surety about their future rather than putting faith in providence and you know uh, okay. a fu- that's a fuddy duddy word for essentially God's will. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's a sin to try to subvert God's will by trying to get a glimpse of the future and then trying to game plan. Because, like, you, gotcha. you can imagine that, like, the reaction to the vision can set us, you know, this is this is a monkey's paw kind of thing can like set to the that can lead to the actually self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, that you you, you uh-huh. bring about the conditions that cause the, the prophecy to occur. And then when you add people like um, sorrow, Saruman and Sauron perhaps very powerfully um, manipulating what you do and don't see through the Palantir so that you only see your your worst fears. You never see your greatest hopes. That's another way it can be used to manipulate. And the other thing that I didn't understand is I thought the pal- the, day, the, the Numenors had seven Palantirs and they were all accounted for and they were all spread out later on through Gondor and, Anor- and, and, and hmm. Arnor, the lands that the Numenorians will later go on to settle in Middle-earth. And that they only started going missing once Sauron started taking over, like, you know, Minas mm. Morgul, the, that, that's the Witch King's hideout. It used to be, I think it's the Sildor's brothers and Arion's stronghold. It had a, every one mm. of these, like, towers had a palantir. Uh, the one at Orthanc, mm. which was the tower that the Sar- Saruman was squatting in. Mm-hmm. And now they're saying, like, six have been lost or destroyed, and there's Already, only one. Yeah. But that tells me, like, I, I'm putting my Lord of the Rings hat and be like, well, who has the other ones? And how are the Numenorians being manipulated by these dark forces? Gotcha. I, I guess a follow-up question is, who created the Palantir? Was it the Valar? Was these are the- elvish tools, yeah. Or many of them might have been gift from the Valar, actually. Um, but they, so, they're, they're, so it's I, a little bit like the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Hmm. A little bit like, like it's meant it's meant to just be there, but don't use it. Yeah, it's a sin to use it. 
did, did you think that like the way the thing that bothers me and maybe this is just the 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 text the subtext of the book becoming text but the way galadriel talks to these people it's just like why aren't you on board with all of our shit it reminds me a lot do you remember the movie love actually when like uh-huh. billy bob thornton is playing like a pastiche of george w bush a swaggering american president that just treats britain like they're the kid brother and it's like you're obviously going to go along with our trade deals and we're going to ram this through your throat and if you don't accept it we're going to you know like it just comes across a really high and mighty i felt like she's billy bobbing uh muriel's hugh grant here Mm -hmm. it's very disrespectful it's like why did you abandon our ways uh and you know uh that that the, the Valar gifted this for virtue and it's taken away if we turn from darkness. And then Gal- Galadriel says your virtue was your loyalty to the elves. What the fuck? Sounds pretty self-serving. <laughs> yeah, man. Like to the extent that you're on our side. I mean, this is yeah, this is the axis and evil all over again. You're either with us or against us. I thought like, yeah, yeah. And the fact that Muriel wasn't even that pissed about it. She's just like, yeah, you're right, man. We've got really gone away from the old elf ways. Like, it's kind of blew my mind. Um, I, I think they do a good patronizing job. she's being. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think they do a good job in this scene showing that Muriel is torn, though. Right. Muriel is like, sure. I am the leader of these people. And I to to the extent of my ability um, and, and where I think it lines up with their interests, I need to to be on board with what they think. Yes. And they think that we should not return to these old ways. Therefore, I can't lead them down that path. My father tried it and he got his ass kicked out. So it wouldn't even end well for me. I do have a little bit of faith, but my faith alone isn't going to be enough to do this. And and more importantly, I shouldn't push these people toward my faith necessarily if that's not where they want to go. Right. Like if you are so such a champion for change and progress that you get unelected, you know, like what good are you actually doing? Like you, sure. there's, there's what's what there's your ideals and there's what's possible and there's what's pragmatic and you should always try to get everything you can do. But like at some point, if you push too hard, uh, you're going, you're going to lose. Um, mm-hmm. But I just thought it's, it's yeah. Like the way Galadriel's talking, you know, and again, it's, it's, it's a point that she is not a very good diplomat at this point. But I don't know why Muriel was accepting some of this like meekly. Although I did thought the line that she had where Gladriel's like, you know, just have faith in me and the elves. And she's like, faith might bind one heart, but it's too fine a thread to hang a kingdom. Yeah. I thought that's a great line. She's like, well, yeah, you've convinced me. But this retail diplomacy hand, you know, shake handshake stuff is not going to work for an entire nation. And I can't ask these people to. Now. The thing is. I think that's a smart sentiment. I don't know what happens. I know I don't know what happens at the, by the end of the episode, except for yep. the fact that the gods tears. But this is just another vision that only she herself saw. You so, know, so that, I had a huge question about that at the end. Is this something that culturally? And I think they they most of the way get there with her speech that she gives. Like culturally, it's a I good think speech. this is a significant moment for everyone, right? Not just for yeah. someone who's seen this vision. I think. The, those those falling petals, the the tears of the Valar or whatever, it means something to everyone, and so that might change the minds of pretty much everyone who saw them, which should be almost everyone. Yeah, you should see a lot of that was a big public area. Yeah, the white trees. You might be right about that. So, so I think they get most of the way there. I, I'm okay with it at least. Uh, but mm. I think Farazan has a lot to his his role is a lot more complicated. 
Yeah, I definitely want to talk about that when we get there. And it's, man, it's going to be super interesting, I think, to see what happens to Numenor after Muriel leaves. Because I have to imagine mm. the person who gets put into power is the Chancellor. Yeah. So Farazan has some promises to live up to from the people who didn't want this to happen. So yep. where does he go? Where does he lead the people? I thought there's some clever, like ultra diplomatic things are happening here where it seems like, you know, this is an all volunteer force and they're going to democratically vote, even though we got a queen rate regent like the citizens, preponderance of citizens have to like. But um, yeah, yeah. It, what, what is he going to do when she's off fighting the war? Mm-hmm. Will she come back to a kingdom that she recognizes, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, interesting. There's a lot more rings of power to ponder. We'll be back right after this short break. And now, let's dig a little deeper on Dug Too Deep. All right, let's move over to Rowan, Theo's friend, returning with the food, but not with Theo. And Bronwyn is very worried. Um, and then we go back over to Theo, who leaves the well that night and tries to sneak out of town, but he's grabbed by the orcs. Luckily, Arendir shows up just in time to save him. Um, and then Arendir covers him as they run through the woods from the orcs. And Bronwyn catches up with them, and then they make it to the sun-filled clearing, which provides cover. I wrote in my notes that Theo gets out of the well so he can play Splinter Cell and Charted Zero Dawn. The, the, I could I not mean, help but think oh tall my grass, God. especially the tall grass. It's literally hiding in the tall grass. It's hiding in the tufts of tall grass. It's the sneaking along the half walls with your back pressed to it. It's like literally a stealth mechanic video game. Yep. Uh, and I was thinking the whole time, I was like, dude, just stay in the well another hour. These orcs are about to pack out of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we wouldn't get the sick ass scene with Aaron Deer. And it is like, so I've criticized like Gladriel running up swords and uh, some other things. Like I thought the chain was borderline goofy, but ultimately awesome. This is what I love about elves. The fact that like he's able to, with his back turn, hear this whistle, arrow, uh, arrow whistling at them, push the kid down out of danger again, without even looking, snatching the arrow out of the air and returning it to cinder in one mm-hmm. smooth motion. That's the elf shit that I get off on. Legolas uh, rapid firing arrows and then getting onto the horse by just grabbing the reins and like using his body motion like the Kung Fu himself onto there. I love that stuff. And this this was I just yeah, I love it. I love Aaron Deer hitting all these fuckers dead center of mass. Just like no expression, no emotion. Just every one of them. I thought this was a really cool action scene. Absolutely. I thought it was amazing. Um it, you have to not think about, you know, the force that it must have taken to knock uh, Theo to the ground in that fraction of a second, <laughs> shattering <laughs> yeah. his spine and bones. Uh-huh. And He'll never kinds, walk but, again, but he didn't uh, take an orc arrow in the chest. Yeah, right. But, you know, if you forget about all that, yeah, it looks amazing um, and it's super cool. I, you know, I I've been looking at their use of slow motion mm-hmm. and I think of the horse thing might bother me less than the slow motion in this scene. And it's not necessarily really? when he catches the arrow. Cause I think that's worthy of slow motion. Uh-huh. It's the run to the clearing. Like I, when I think about the use of, of slow motion in Lord of the Rings, it's dropping the freaking ring in a Mount doom, right? It's like climactic mm. moments. Mm-hmm. It's climactic moments for characters. Isn't, isn't it, is it Boromir's death 
Is he mm-hmm. the one who takes a bunch of arrows? Oh, yeah. And yeah, they, they do the slow motion him. thing, and he's fighting off orcs, and it's fucking awesome, and he's going. He's not going down without a fight. That's all slow motion. That's a climax for a character. This is just, they make it to the field. I, I felt like the arrow catch warranted the slow motion. The rest of it did not. But that was me. I did appreciate that. I thought they did a good job of showing like um, rooting this in a time and place because like it did. You, you saw the dawn coming mm-hmm. and then because I, I was like, God, how are they going to get away? Like these orcs are everywhere. They're gaining on them. And then when he's like, get to the clearing. You can kind of see the sun start to come up and they just made it. It's it, that felt really satisfying. Yeah. So like I didn't totally. mind it. I thought it accentuated action and. But to take your, to, I, I get your point. Like these 70, 75 minute episodes where they're using a lot of these slow mo and some of the stuff feels indulgent. And then yet they still can't be crystal clear with like what characters' motivations and objectives and like where places are it is a little mm-hmm. frustrating, sure. But yeah, sometimes I, I, you know, like I said to, I, I do think that again, these are very inexperienced showrunners. Um, and, I have a lot of faith that some of these creaky things that we're seeing in some of these episodes will probably be fixed as we continue going on. And I'll even allow that there are probably some leftover COVID bullshit like the, there's clearly these things were shot a while back and they had to do a whole ton of post-processing and post-production on them. Um, I, I really hope that they can tighten already a pretty, pretty, pretty well running ship. I hope they can tighten up a little bit in season two. Yeah. And I will say, I know there are other times in Lord of the Rings they use slow motion to less effect. You know, mm-hmm. Legolas gets slow motion all the time, but he's doing cool shit. I'm okay with yeah. it if they're doing cool shit, but running from orcs is not necessarily cool shit. All right, let's go over to Disa doing some cool shit. She sings a song to help the miners get out alive. Turns out they do, which which was pretty like, just like, I'm singing this song. The miners will get out alive. The miners got out alive. Mm-hmm. Don't have to you wait know? very long on that. Right. I, I thought king. it was dope how they blend the one scene into the other because Disa singing starts like this mournful start starts up during Brown, uh, Bronwyn and uh, uh, Aaron Deer and, and the Theo's fleeing of the orcs mm-hmm. and then just seamlessly blends into her and her sister dwarf singing, singing through the mountain here. Yeah. And it's hoping, you know, these people will get out alive. It, it yeah. equally applies to them. Um, and I got—I just got to say, this thing just sounded so fucking good on my setup and in the th- acoustics of my living room. It was—it was an experience. Nice. Uh, despite all the miners getting out alive, the king is shutting down the old mine. Durin is furious and wants to curse his father, but Elrond tells Durin how awesome his father was and how Durin is lucky to have a father at all. And they joke about how they met. Normally, I hate this kind of stuff. I hate when someone comes up to a person who's have a difficult relationship with their parents and is like, well, you know, at least you got a mom or dad and I'd give anything. It's like, well, shut the fuck up. I'm glad you loved your dad. You know, I'm glad you loved your mom. Mm -hmm. You don't know what my relationship was like. But to me, this was a friend trying to help like maybe a hot headed friend over an initial kind of like disappointment. And you can see that he was also following Disa's suit. Like Disa wasn't like, yeah, you're right. Your old man's a bastard. He's never believed in. She's like, you know, even the hottest coal can cool down. And Duran's kind of just being a dick. You know, he's, Mm -hmm. he's reacting to, I think his father's rat. Like you just almost killed four of her dwarves down there, man. This is some, let's slow down, not dig too deep, deep or too greedily. We don't want any (laughs) Balrog situations. 
yeah. I mean, so it's him just backing, knowing what comes, but I, I, I think it's, I think it's him backing his friend in a true place, not like dismissing the fact that Durin has a real problem with his dad, but like Durin is a little bit of a hothead, you know, stubborn person who doesn't have the authority of the king to make these decisions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, using his experience with his father and being, you know, wondering if he's going to live up to him and his fucking star dad and his expectations. I, I thought it was pretty good. And it, and it was a nice uh, emotional resonance of these, these friends. And mm-hmm. I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Yeah. And it rolls into the next scene pretty well. Oh, before we move in though, I also, I really appreciate, you know, cause again, one of the criticisms we have of house of dragons, there's not much humor. I actually really liked Elrond and him going back and forth on the, well, because you think Elrond's going to bat, you got like super back him, like oh, uh, I just I got to I got to correct the detail. There's actually three uh-huh. cave trolls or whatever it was, but then he immediately starts. I just heard this shrieking and it was so high pitched. I assumed it had to be a small child, and turns <laughs> like it was my war cry. And just I I thought it's just their their odd couple routine is really endearing and funny. It is, yeah. I whenever they get those two good friends together kind of going at each other playfully it works with poppy and uh nori as well it does it's a good time they've got some of those solid relationships that can go back and forth and it's just it's just a pleasure to watch only four episodes in Mm -hmm. all right let's talk about the aftermath of this where duran goes to apologize to his father but his father is is very quick to forgive actually says there's nothing to forgive um and they both think that there's something else going on with elrond's appearance so Durin decides to go to Linden to find out what it is. Yeah, I don't know what the secret part is. Is, is it the forge or the because I, I don't even think they've said what Celebrimbor is building. He's just alluding to he wants to have something for real power. So it seems like there's an opportunity for the elves to horn in on the dwarves. Uh, brand new era for their for their race and for the dwarves to horn in on the elves. New era for their powerful artifact, whatever they're making. Um. Yeah, but it's also like if 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 that implies that Elrond's deliberately keeping us a nature of the project secret. And I don't like how he's a hypocrite when he goes secrets do not become friendships such as ours. That's a great, powerful sentiment. But also, you can't it seems like you're keeping secrets, man. Yeah, no, I'm with you. It's it's. Boy, I, I don't know how to get around the idea that he is being deceitful here. Yeah, it, yeah. It makes all it makes all the you know friendly stuff he's doing feel wrong. Another, yeah. It feels like these elves are just really patronizing to the quote unquote lesser races. Which <laughs> is like your first clue that they're maybe patronizing. You know, <laughs> sure. Uh, but no, I, I think like Peter Mullen is is really great in this scene. I, oh, so good. I really like his Durin, Daddy Durin, Daddy Durin, because uh, they're both named Durin. Yeah. I've never seen Peter Mullen be a good guy. Sure. And he's like just really warm and that, uh, you know, has has his king because he I I feel like that the old Durin, Daddy Durin was like maybe on the verge of apologizing, too, because you can't see him kind of close his eyes and relax as Durin starts up the forgive me father business and. Mm-hmm. I just, I just, I just, this is another great line of dialogue. It's like, the, you know, they say that when the dwarven kings, be, you know, be crowned, they they have the wisdom of their forefathers and all their advice and their words of encouragement and their mistakes flood into you. And he's like, but you won't have to wait to hear my words. Um, I'm with you always, son. Like, that's 
Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, as, as powerful stuff. For sure. All right. Let's go back over to the Elven Tower where Bronwyn. Well, one of the Elven Towers, the former Elven Tower. How about that? The guard mm-hmm. tower. Uh, Bronwyn thanks Aaron Deer for helping her son. And he delivers Adar's message that they may live if they forsake their lands and swear fealty to Adar. Otherwise, he's coming for you. Ostirith? Yep, Ostirith. Yeah, not, not much to the scene. I mean, she's happy to have him back, but also they, they still don't confess their love for each other, right? Mm, no. I'm kind of surprised by that. I expected them to, to have a moment here and actually say it, but... Oh man! Now that now that there's actually a crisis on the yeah, the elf is gonna really ah, I can't. That's not the right time. It's not the right time to hit on her now. Her son just found a Morgul blade. Like what? Come on! (laughs) I expect her to be dying before he actually says it. Mm. We'll see. Theo is playing with a sword, and the innkeeper Waldron sees it uh, and tells him that it has enormous power, and asks him if he's heard. Heard the good word of Sauron. Uh, Theo tells him, uh, I, I don't know. Theo doesn't seem on board with the message of Sauron, but but Waldron says, "Be ready, because we we're gonna have to when uh, Sauron returns." And will he get a choice? Because like you know, Frodo slips the ring on the finger, and it starts affecting him immediately. And again. Uh, that turns out to, to be the one ring, but this is a bad, this is some bad shit. Uh, I thought it's interesting how the old man has a scar in his forearm. Exactly. Like, yeah, like he's been, mm-hmm. he's plugged into he's that blade that more sword. than once. And he's clearly like ground central for evil men in the village. You know, he's secretly been loyal to Sauron this whole time running his cult mm-hmm. of Sauron. And I feel like Theo, I thought Theo was listening a lot. Uh, you know, he's not completely down with it, but number one, what choice is he going to have mm-hmm. if this thing starts taking and taking him over? And two, you know, this guy's talking about like, hey, we could have real power. All right. We, we used to be these glorious people and something was taken from us. Ro- you know, we were robbed of of our heritage. And this blade is a uh, uh, doesn't try to take the blade back. That's the other thing I thought. And the fact that Theon or Th- I'm sorry, Theo keeps like getting this blade out and like admiring it and fondling it, you know, like yeah. every chance he gets, like, you know, he's getting in and it's even less and less private. It's like, it feels like it's already becoming an obsession with him. Totally. And I look at the age he is and I look at how his mother in his sure. eyes is holding him back. Right. And the yep. tighter her grip, you know, it's the star Wars thing. Sure. Uh, he's, he's going to slip right through her fingers and probably into Sauron's hands. If, if mm. she's not careful, um, so, yeah, you can't resist evil artifacts like that was Frodo and Sam's sure. whole arc. Mm-hmm. Um, but boy, it seems like it's hard for the hearts of men to do that kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm just worried the Bronwyn's actions are pushing him more toward that. Not less. Yeah. yeah, sure. And that's happens a lot of parents, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Uh, finally, Gladriel is sent away on a very small boat and the queen goes to announce her departure to the people. However, on her way to the plaza, the flower petals from the vision fall and she changes her mind, tells her people instead that she is going to the Southlands with an army to fight with the humans. Uh, sorry, not to fight with the humans, to fight with the elves. <laughs> with the humans, I don't know, they're, they're all kind of together. Sure. Um, Isildur, his friends, and seemingly half at least the other Numenorians all volunteer to go. 
Yeah, and this is this reminds me a lot of like King Leonidas in 300. The fact that like he was forbidden officially from going and going to war, but no one can stop me from taking my bodyguard out for a hike. And she's like, I'm going to personally escort our prisoner to Middle Earth. And I would like, and that's, that's when they're recruiting, you're like, who is going to re- volunteer for the Queen's Guard? Right. And it seems like it's, it's all very democratic, that the, the nobles are all there in the house of n- the Numenorean representatives, and they're raising their hand that they're going to support this military action, and and they're only taking um, volunteers. What really confused me is why an uh, Aryan and... Ellen deal looks so shocked slash angry at Isildur volunteering because I thought they were pro elf and that they would be in support of him. I don't, like I said, I don't understand well how they're acting. Does Ellen deal know yet that he's been kicked out of the sea guard? Cause probably not. Him. Yeah, because I don't think there's been, you know, like his sister didn't. She surmised it by his clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so he could be shocked just at the fact that he would give up the sea guard after I forbid him from, you know, going on crazy journeys. But this is like, even even if that was the case, like this seems like an yeah. spectacular circumstance, like this the return of an elf action. and your queen. Yeah. yeah, like essentially all patriotic men of goodwill pleased to me. Totally. And like Ellen Deal's reaction was overwhelmingly one of anger, I thought. And I just like, I don't mm. I just don't understand. Again, don't understand what going west means in this context. I don't understand why Ellen Deal would be pissed that he's escorting his queen and serving Lady Gladrail. Um, like I said, I yeah, I, I lost the plot a little bit here. And I I think it's I think it's because it's just just unclear. Yeah. Also, really enjoyed Galadriel just firing a 10 megawatt stink eye laser at everyone in this final sure. scene. Like even even Ellen Deal like goes up there and speaks elf to her says go in peace and she's like mm. whatever. <laughs> Fuck out of my way. Like and 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 then drives her rowing her away. She 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 turns the battery one more time on Muriel and just gives the full broadsides of stink eye. It's just incredible. Mm. Incredible the way she does diplomacy. Uh I I don't know how much foreknowledge you have here, but do you think Elendil is going with the queen or is he staying back in Numenor? I have no idea. I'm guessing as a newly minted post-captain, whatever the hell that means in Numenor society, that he is going to go and that this is going to give him and Isildur a good long chance to talk about the shit going on West and Anarion and why he's a black sheep and maybe he's... I, I hope so, because, man, I really need to get some answers because I still am completely uninvested in Ellen Deal and Isildur. Gotcha. The other thing about this is we kind of know this fight is doomed, right? If you've seen Lord of the Rings, uh, it, it, the <laughs> the bad shit is going to happen. There's nothing they can do to prevent that. Yeah. Um, That's a there's prequel, going to yeah. be a giant war. Yeah, there's going to be. Mm. Uh, a lot of bad stuff. So I don't want to say too much about it because maybe some people haven't seen it, but. But yeah, it's like you can watch the prologue for Lord of the Rings for massive spoilers uh-huh. about like where this is probably going to go and end. But um, it's I think it's going to be like this. Everything I say about Fire and Blood, you know, the the House of the Dragon show where that that's like just such a history book, such a dry account. And it's the motivations and the personal relationships and fleshing mm-hmm. those out that really make the thing sing like that goes double for the appendix of Lord of the Rings. Sure. You know, this is very, <laughs> and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened and then they sailed over and then this happened. 
you know, have like, again, I don't even mind that they swerve like from the canon a little bit. It's just, I, I feel like they're definitely swerving and I just, I, I'm not sure what they're swerving to. So like, I'm, I'm just really hesitant to, to say one way or another. And I, and I also, I, I do think they're being a little bit unclear. I, I got that from talking to John this morning too. Yeah. The fact that he's not exactly sure what they're talking, you know, guys steeped in Tolkien Lords, like what do they mean by going to the West? They keep on calling it the West. The West means something. Mm-hmm. you know in 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 the Tolk- tokenology so sure. we'll see we got four more episodes for things to come into focus so we'll see if they get it done yeah and i don't think they're telling those personal stories perfectly um no. i think they're doing a good enough job i'm i'm getting on board with those stories and they're crushing the harfoots they're crushing the dwarves and the elves yep. yep uh they're just having a real tough time with the elves and humans um although i even i, yeah. I think they're doing a pretty good job at the southern stuff the southron stuff yeah, it's not bad. Um, it's just, you know, standing up next to House of the Dragon, which is kind of all about that in these first yes. five episodes. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's not quite up to that par, but, yeah. you know. But it's the visuals enough, in House of sure. Dragon aren't, aren't up to Lord of the Rings, uh, Rings of Power standards either. Fair. Uh, yeah, that's it for the episode. I, I'm really curious to see where this takes Numenor. Um with the person who I assume is going to be ruling Farazan having obligations to people and obligations yeah. to the people specifically who aren't going to go on this journey because um, they're not interested in helping the elves. So, Exciting. Uh, Yeah, if you've got some things to say, which I'm sure you do, don't forget, we'll have a feedback episode out next week. Dug too deep at baldmove.com is how you send in feedback to that. Also, the Lorehounds will be out a lore hound will be out with a bald hound. Mm-hmm. Uh, John and Jim, the two J's, are joining forces to do a lore deep dive, which I can't wait to hear what this sounds like. I, dude, you want you want to <laughs> check this podcast out just for the stunt factor, because I have no idea either. Yeah, but yeah we'll it's going to Jim naked and afraid, uh, <laughs> wading into the deep end of Tolkien lore with with uh, a, a truly cracked out lorehound. I got to I mean, say, he's a John, dive master. So I, yeah. I feel safe in the deep end, but man, that's it's true. Deep. You got to trust he's going to have your 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 scuba tank set up right and your parachute mm-hmm. pack correctly. It's going to get weird scuba parachuting, but. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Doug too deep at baldmove.com the lorehounds Monday our feedback podcast I think comes out Wednesday and then we'll do it all again next Friday um, thanks for following along if you'd like to follow us uh, along on all of our projects twitter.com slash baldmove is the best way to do that you can also discuss uh, um, the, the rings of power with all of our fellow fans at our discord also the, the lorehounds have their own special section where you can go crazy with the lore uh, on our discord discord.baldmove.com again thank you for listening we'll be back next week for an expanded lore p- podcast uh, and you also make sure that you subscribe to the Lorehounds feed for that because uh, their lore cast only comes out on the Lorehounds feed you can find that by I think searching for second age or just the Lorehounds on your favorite podcast app and uh, we will see you Monday until then I'm Aaron and I'm Jim see ya